0: 19 down, 346 to go. My name is Chris. This is Out of Theater Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Uh, I'll explain why you're only getting one movie uh, this particular episode, as well as, uh, uh, I think, a really interesting conversation I had with uh, Jonathan Kieran uh, from Cinema Salem. Before we do, let's talk Griffin the Lock. Griffin the Lock sponsored this episode. Uh, 65% of burglars are already well acquainted with the people they rob. An important question to ask yourself is how many people have keys to your house? Do not risk the security of your family by not knowing the answer to this question. Griffin Lock and Key is here to bring you some certainty. When Griffin Lock comes to your house, after they change all of their your locks and they give you new keys, you can be certain that each lock was inspected by a professional locksmith and your new keys are one of a kind. A uh, Griffin Lock is certified and insured uh, and your security is Griffin Lock and Key's priority. So please give Brian a call at 978-732-3241 to schedule your appointment today, or you can visit them at www.griffinlock.com. That's www.griffinlock.com. Never hurts to have a great locksmith in your back pocket and Griffin Lock and Keys is certainly that. Okay. So uh, we're going to talk about guess who's coming to dinner. I'll talk about that after the interview I had with with Jonathan. I will say the interview I had with Jonathan was on Wednesday. So you'll hear my surprise when he says that Cinema Salem is taking a break as of January 24th. Uh, We taped that early on Wednesday and I had no idea that was the case. Um, We'll say they're going to be opening up back later in the spring. Um, So uh, that is obviously interesting, but I think the most interesting part of the interview was some of the talk about how the theater works of studios on getting movies and kind of how the whole behind the scenes business uh, of all of that works. So I thought it was, a, I learned a ton talking to John. So hopefully you'll get the same, uh, have the same takeaway from that as well. So, okay. So why am I only doing, you know, usually i do two days uh, for every episode you're probably wondering what happened don't worry i'm still going to movies hopefully unless it was some crazy disaster but i am uh i'm going to boston for this weekend so so you're probably wondering what the schedule is moving forward uh so it's going to be west side story and parallel mothers that's going to be the next episode you get and then i'm going to follow up with last night in soho and the tragedy of Macbeth. so that's kind of what I have planned out for the, this Boston weekend here, I'm going to be seeing a couple of different theaters. I've never seen before, uh, including the showcase Superlux that's in Chestnut Hill. I'm also going to be hitting up the bridal theater again. Uh, but as well as the AMC Boston common, another, uh, I haven't been to that theater as well. So hopefully after this trip, I'll have some new theaters to talk about as well as some, some new movies I've seen. Uh, but I don't want to, uh, hold up the interview. the interview was about, about a half hour, uh, with me and John, uh, and then, uh, I'll come back and I'll talk about the review of guess who's coming to dinner. Okay. So I have Jonathan Kieran. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Uh, from Cinema Salem here. He is the film uh, curation, film curator and programming guy over there uh, at Salem. I've been to Cinema Salem twice now, had a really great time both time I was there, but thanks for joining me, John. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I have a bunch of questions for you because, you know, this is part of the fun of this project is kind of seeing some of the behind the scenes stuff, how cinemas work or, or kind of how things operate. So I guess my, my first question is, you know, We'll start basic. You know, what are your primary duties over there?
1: Um, Yeah, so like you said, uh, film curation, film programming—that's my my beat. Um, It's a small team, so we're sharing a lot of duties. So I guess what I do goes beyond that in various directions. But uh, my core responsibilities are um, picking the program. Um, That means both first run films. um, You know, so like keeping in touch with studios, making sure we're on top of new releases, um, thinking about what. Uh, out of the the studio offerings like the big distributors thinking about what might work for our audience and then trying to to get those movies in um and of course part of that means playing the the big stuff like we played spider-man um we played we've played um the big marvel releases but um and sort of trying to supplement that with more um kind of specialized specialty movies um and also like uh designing series so um, uh, when you, when you were here for Sabrina, you were, um, that was part of a series we're doing this month for, um, our classic series. We're doing, uh, the films of Audrey Hepburn. So that's more of a matter of like going back through archives and getting repertory films and thinking about designing programs around those. So our big kind of initiatives on that side are, um, both classics. And we kind of like tend to pick a new theme new every month, try to, um, work around that theme, not every month. Uh, December was more of a grab bag we were just like holiday stuff like what kind of works for that Um, but we've done November we did all noir noir films film noir Um, and uh, the other big sort of ongoing series other than our classics is uh, Nightlight which is a cult series that I um, curate um, which is just cult movies all the time weird stuff um, sort of big cult movies sometimes. Like, you know, we did Repo Man or we did They Live, but also weirder, more obscure stuff when we can sort of manage that. So, yeah.
0: Sure. Okay. So I'm very curious about kind of picking the movies because, uh, I mean, a big part of what I'm doing here in this project is, you know, every Tuesday, I'm like, I'm on Fandango, like a maniac. I'm just trying to build my schedule and put that together. But I'm very really curious about how it kind of works on the other end. So when you're talking to these theaters, are they, do they push movies uh often that you don't want anything to do with for instance for whatever reason, but you, I'm guessing more financial. It's like, oh, this really just wouldn't work for my audience. And if so, like what kind of movie you like, can you give me an example of like a movie that is like, ah, it just that wasn't gonna work for us?
1: Um, I'm trying to think of like what a bigger movie is that we didn't take. Um, there's not that much pressure in terms of like you have to take this, like we're we're really kinda of, I mean, there's a little bit of like salespersonship, you know, but you gotta deal with that kind of in every industry. Um I would say like you know I guess maybe this is too I my my brain always goes to like Hollywood history but like back in the day before uh, the Paramount decrees that was 1950 a studio could totally say like you want this with this A picture with um you know, Clark Gable and whoever in it, like you want this big movie that everybody's going to want. you got to take these 10 other movies for us. They can, right. like actually require you to do that. That's not the case anymore. and hasn't been the case for a long time, although the Paramount Decrees, the Department of Justice did rescind them entirely. So maybe we're going back to that. But um, for now, we, if we don't have to take if we don't want to take something, we don't have to. Um, and you know, for instance, there were a lot of judgment calls around Warner brothers movies this year because they, yeah, they had that whole deal where everything went to streaming same day and that's tough. Um, you don't always know what kind of impact that's having on your returns. But like, you know, if you look at something and you're like, this is just going to be on HBO max the same day we're playing it, the incentive is different. So, um. So, yeah, we took some of those movies. I mean, Warner Brothers was also putting out a lot more product than most of the other studios this year. So, it was kind of like, you know, well, what are you going to do if you have if you don't have anything else to choose from that week? But
0: So, there's uh, never been, like, for instance, I'm just going to throw a movie out, like a movie I didn't like, 355 with these women spies. So, it mm-hmm. just wasn't a very good movie. So, uh, it's not a very really creative movie. It's not, not super interesting, and it hasn't done very well in the box office. But I didn't know if the studio would pressure you be like, Hey, we really want you to take the 355, uh, that's, you know, be really great if you did that. And, uh, but it doesn't sound like that's something that happens.
1: I mean, it could happen. It's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not like it never happens. Like I said, there's some like salesmanship involved sure. uh, on sometimes, but, um, it's pretty loose. Like it's not, you know, I, I don't think there's the same, pressure maybe that there used to be or that there is another for other theaters. Um, you know, we're small. We're not, I don't know if we're like the biggest priority for a lot of these big, um, like three fifty five. was that like universal or something like that was, I that's believe
0: like a, it was a, Right. It was a major studio, but it, right. It was one, one of the heavy hitters for sure.
1: It's a big corporation. So like they right. got a lot, I mean, there's still, um, almost 4,000, um, theaters in America, that's including all the chains and everything, but also independents. So, you know, they've, they've, uh, I'm sure some of these studios amid the pandemic had to trim down their staff too. So like, um, you might've one time had like a bunch of, um, uh, distribution sales specialists being like covering the territory. Um, but if that's been whittled down, then do you have a whole lot of time? Like Sony, when we get emails from Sony, it's just like, the entire country, like you get the feeling that you're on a BCC with like 4,000. Right. right. <laughs> it's not like a personalized approach. Um, so, um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much of it is that. Like they're just, they're, their sales staffs are less than they were, or how much of it is a difference in approach, or how much of it is like, you know theatrical becoming less of a priority and the 355 they're just like well we can make back our money on streaming so we ha- don't have to run after like every single screen that we can get in america we don't have to really do a, a full press on it
0: that's true i am sure know. studios philosophies are changing on that and because just because the streaming element and things are going to demand so much faster now okay so yep. i have a question about kind of um how long a movie needs to play and the reason i bring it up with you too is because i see you guys kind of going against what I thought was the grain. So for instance, uh, scream five, you know, you get that, that came out last week. You guys are showing that right now. So if you're in the Salem area, I want to go see scream five, go to cinema Salem, uh, support these guys. Uh, it's a great theater. Uh, but, uh, with scream five, my understanding was if you took a movie on opening weekend, uh, you had to have it run for at least two weeks. Is that correct?
1: um in a lot of cases yeah yeah i mean that's kind of the standard okay um is they have what's called a two-week lock and um it's not in every case but yeah and you can take stuff on depending you could say like um you try to be upfront and say like well we want this on like a, a week a week and look like we'll see how it, it goes for this week and then reassess um and that's kind of what like we're kind of doing that each and every week we're assessing um i talk to my staff we look at what happened over the weekend in terms of grosses. And then we make decisions about what we're going to keep. And sometimes it does mean like, um, I mean, if it's a lock, it's a lock. That's like, if you're like, if you said you were going to take it for two weeks, there's a lot of cases, there's no real wiggling out of that. But we do try to just, you know, within what, what within the room we have to maneuver, like what can we do about like, you know, getting, getting out of stuff that's not doing well or, um bringing in something that might we think might do well it's it's a weekly game um but yeah you're right you're you're um you've heard correctly that two weeks is kind of a standard
0: okay so the reason I, I bring it up with you too is cuz I noticed what you guys do which I love for my project and I also love cuz it keeps things fluid i'm guessing that's why you do it but you you'll be like hey we're showing you know, it might be kind of like, it's on the last legs of a movie, whether it be, you know, West Side Story or something that's kind of, we're on the back back nine of it for sure. And like, hey, we're gonna have it, but it was one week only. Um, I saw you guys do that pretty recently. I think last week you did it with a couple movies. Um, yep. And uh, I didn't know if that was permitted because the studios are like, all right, well, we're just trying to get any glass dollar we can because it is on the back nine of this run. So they're, they're I'm guessing they're a lot more flexible, but it's not opening weekend, is that right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, they'll be like. um, I mean, they're doing the same kind of dance that we are from a different angle, where they're looking at all of their product. If you're if you're working for Disney in their sales department right now, you're looking at not only Disney titles but um, uh, Searchlight titles, formerly Fox Searchlight. You're looking at um, what's the. Uh, oh, well, just like 20th century, which used to be 20th century Fox. So you've got like those three like sources of content there. So you might have like five films or something, or if you're working for Warner brothers, like they've sent, like I was saying, they've got like so many films on the go, more so than a lot of other studios. If it's a heavier part of the year, you might have like four or five films that you're sort of keeping an eye on and you're tracking and you're saying, well, this is how this is doing. Um, like grosses wise, like we know what the opening weekend was. We expect that to drop for each and every weekend thereafter. And then if somebody, if like us comes to you for like West side story, if you're working at Disney, that's a, um, that's a 20th century film, I think. Um, and we're like, Hey, could we split this? Could we take this, but only give it like a couple shows a week, like not give it an entire screen. Um, you know, they all have, they have kind of like policy about that. So they'll say like they'll have made a decision already on their side saying like going into week five West Side Story is cool for splits or even like shows like we could get like one off shows if somebody wants. So. Um, so, yeah, that that's like a policy decision that happens on their end and that we can sort of take advantage of if we think like we want this film, we want to be able to say that we like you said, we can say we say we've got it for one week, try to build up a kind of like sense of urgency for anybody who is like sitting on their hands waiting to see West Side Story um and then always if it does okay like we ended up extending West Side Story we're gonna have it this week too because oh nice there's not, there's not much coming out we need the we need something to fill up some space and also like it's doing okay so it's like you know um
0: well that so was, there's a, oh sorry, sorry no, I was gonna say at least my next question so you mentioned like things are not coming out which is problematic for me as i'm sure you can imagine i'm sure it's problematic for you as well yeah. uh so when things happen like when sony pulls morbius or uh pixar or disney pulls that turning red movie like does that piss you off does that because i've you? you know i obviously you know you're not responsible for commercials or marketing or anything like that but it's still like all right i'm trying to we're trying to get some anticipation to the theaters, you know, it's probably a trailer we may have shown and you kind of feel like you're spinning your wheels at some point. Like what what the fuck guys, come on. Yeah. I mean,
1: I can't say I'm like, was personally like uh, that upset <laughs> about Mor- Morbius getting moved. Like that wasn't like a blow for me, but like right. I, I, I think even as like a, even as like a business thing, it's like, I don't know. It just is what it is. Like this is. I started this job in June, so I don't have, and I hadn't worked in cinema programming. I came from a festival background, so I don't really know what it is to live in a pre-pandemic reality. So maybe I'm just used to it. If and if I'd been doing this for like four or five years beforehand, it might really be like. um, But even then, I I think if I'm hypothetically, I think I would be more. um, It would be more of a bummer in terms of like what it meant for the theatrical landscape less like oh this particular film like i guess if they would pulled spider-man like spider-man did well everywhere and if that had moved that would have been huge Um, oh yeah i imagine but even in this like um reality now where fewer and fewer films there's like tentpole films and then there's everything else you know like it's which is you know i think a problem that if you pay attention on like the critical side or on the on the side where like people are actually enjoying film and are like invested in like the future of film and theatrical film it's it's a pretty big problem um but even then it's like one one film does not run our show. You know, like there's no there's very few like one films that I would look at. And if they got pulled or removed or whatever, it would be like, oh no, like there goes our, you know, month or whatever. Even it's,
0: something like Spider-Man? Because that was just I mean, just if you look at the the, gener- the generic box office charts, I mean it, it is I mean it's I've never seen anything that dominant in my life. Yeah, it's the second biggest opening of all time. Um But comparatively yeah. to everything else though, like everything else was doing so poorly Mm-hmm. and then Spider-Man is doing I've never seen a discrepancy like that.
1: Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's wild. I don't like I can't say that I followed box office grosses too strongly before I did this job, but even with the, with the minimum of familiarity that I have, it's it's a weird. It's a crazy phenomenon, but um yeah, I don't know. It's 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 hard to get like invested in any one film at this point. I mean, if I guess I could say like since I'm still kind of doing this for like the the love of the game and like I don't I mean, maybe I'm, I I could be more like commercially minded about like, this film's going to make us a lot of money. So we should like, you know, we're really anticipating it. And then it's a bummer when it gets pulled. Like, it, I think if somebody pulled, like, if you told me that like the, the Northman got pulled or like, um, <laughs> everything everywhere all at once, that new movie by Daniels with Michelle Yeoh in it, like if that got moved by six months, I think that would be like, Oh, bummer. Like I wanted to, I wanted to play that. I wanted to bring that to an audience and I wanted to see that or something like that. Right. But.
0: So I think, I think me and you are on the same wavelength with a lot of this, uh, which means that we are, in a minority here. Uh, so do you see Marvel? I, I, I'm, I think I'm a little older than you are. Uh, I grew up in, the, in you know, I was a teenager in the 90s and that's really when film was really, in my opinion, that was the best decade of movies for me. Uh, I'm also probably biased because I was a teenager. So you're always kind of over things, but uh, mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're looking back. But you had all these great independent films and you also had just studios are putting out really interesting mid-level dramas, things that cost 30 to $50 million to make, by really great directors with great cast and now it's basically 10 pole or nothing. So, I mean, do you see Marvel more as a necessary evil or just flat out evil? Cause I mean, if you take Marvel away, like, I don't know if movie theaters, you know, you guys, you guys might be more independent. Maybe you guys would be able to, to survive, but I know like AMCs, like if you took Marvel away, I don't think they'd be completely screwed.
1: Yeah. Well, we, for us, I mean, the way I look at it is like we face yeah, a different set of problems than like a, um, A chain or like even like an independent that's kind of um kept up with the times i guess a little bit more because like our cinema you've been in our cinema chris you know it's not like um state of the art we don't have like the d box whatever those are like the butt kickers that infrasound devices that massage your ass while you watch blade runner 2049 or like (laughs) the dolby cinema we don't have atmos i mean atmos would be cool i like atmos but like it's just not where we're at so the average person that you can expect to find in our seats in our cinema is not somebody who's super invested in having those amenities like and that is i think increasingly that's like the blockbuster viewers people who want um those i mean that's why people are paying like 24 bucks to see uh, marvel movies or whatever at amc because they can get all that stuff um so you could say like that's a problem for us and it, it kind of is. I mean, it's like a lot of independent cinemas even have done as much as they can gone as far as they can in that direction um, to stay competitive. But what it means for us is that our, our clientele isn't necessarily motivated by the same things that, um, that like the, the, the AMC clientele is
0: right. No. I, I mean, I mean, you can see that. I mean, you know, your AMC, it typically isn't going to show, Audrey Hepburn movies throughout the month of January, you know, so you guys right. are obviously reaching out to, you're right, a different kind of clientele. I, I can totally see that. I will say one thing about you guys though, is uh, I know that you guys bought new uh, projectors and, and it does show like you guys have one of the clear projectors I've seen. Like they're really sharp, the, uh, especially the back to the future. When I saw that in that that screen, Sabrina was hard to tell because such an old movie, it still looks great. But the back to the future one though was especially, I was like, Oh wow, this is a really clear, clear image here.
1: Yeah, we re equipped um, from the start with, um, from the start, I mean, by the the restart from June, we started with um, laser projectors. They are 2K, they're not 4K, but they're current generation. Whereas, <clears throat> depending on where you go, you know, there's a big, um, if you want to talk about digital projection technology, I had to learn all about this when we were re equipping, but um, there's sort of a, a shift, I guess, maybe going back about two years in what they're calling, if you talk to like a tech, um, what they're calling Series 2 versus Series 1 DCP or DCI, digital projectors. Um, And so there's like, there's complete, like if you buy like an old, people will warn you like, don't buy a used projector from Series 1 because like all that stuff is phasing out. You won't be able to get tech support. You won't be able to get parts for it. Hmm. So we have the newest um stuff at a, at a moment where that kind of uh, matters but yeah we pride ourselves on exhibition I, in all of that as i'm saying like we don't have atmos we don't have dbox like i don't consider those like necessities to really enjoy a movie um so you know i think where it counts in the projection and the sound we're doing all right and i hope i've had you know you're not the only person i've had people come through people who have obviously been going to movies at theaters habitually and saying this looks really nice. Like somebody came in and saw Spencer and said it was, they'd seen it. They were bringing a friend cause they wanted this friend to see it. And they'd seen it at some other like multiplex on the North shore or somewhere around greater Boston. And we like, um, you know, it didn't look as clear. It didn't look as bright. It didn't look as crisp. So, so yeah, that's nice to hear because I do, coming from a festival background, especially where like we were talking to filmmakers about like you were showing a filmmaker's film to that filmmaker. So they right. knew better than anybody what it was supposed to look like. And you had to deliver on an exhibition, um, level, or you would hear about it. Um, it's nice to, to hear those sorts of comments, um, and know that we're sort of keeping up some kind of standard, even though we don't have the bells and whistles.
0: Right. No, uh, for sure. Uh, so, uh, one last kind of thing I want to touch on before I let you go here, uh, is, like how it works percentage wise, and we don't need to get into the, the every dollar. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you're, I'm guessing when you're doing a uh, like a, a major movie, like say Scream, Scream Five, whatever, whatever this is. So like, yeah. you split the grosses with the studio. Is it a 50-50 split? Is it close to that? Am I am I way out of range? You're not.
1: You're not out of range. Um, I would say that's maybe like you know a uh, a minimum. Okay. There's, it's often more than that. And it often depends on, uh, sometimes it's, ha- it is handled on, um, scale. So it depends on what the, that means like that the percentage that, um, gross is the percentage of the gross that we owe back to the studio is dependent on the final domestic gross of the film. So if oh. that makes sense. So it might say like, Oh, if this film makes uh, over a hundred thousand, uh, a hundred million, you're going to pay, you're going to pay like, um, 50% say, and then if it makes 150 million, then you pay this percent. And then that percent, it goes up and up and up.
0: So the, the worse so. the movie does, the less you have to pay back to the studio. Not in every case, but
1: yeah, that's one that's way the, of doing it. But some, a lot of times it is like a, just a straight percentage.
0: And then I, uh, so I guess my, uh, that kind of fish tells my other question, which is you show, we so saw, I saw back to the future. I saw Sabrina. You're showing these older movies. I'm guessing the percentage is you're keeping much more of that take. I would imagine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and is that, is that pretty easy to get clearance for those movies to show them or is it?
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on who it depends on who owns it. Right. Like, that's why you see if you look at rep programs, if you just look around, I mean, OK, if you were say there's a theater in your town and they're doing like a monthly series and it's classics, you're going to see very mainstream classic movies. And that's for two reasons. A, because they don't want to screw around to trying to market like a obscure movie to you um like in our series our Audrey Hepburn series I, uh we wanted to do wait until dark um because that's a film that not a lot of people have seen of Audrey Hepburn's a great film it's from 1967 um it's like a home invasion thriller right. it's got Alan Arkin in a very creepy role it's a cool movie it, it was the last of the um performances for which Hepburn was nominated for an academy award of like five um and uh so we wanted to show that but we got like A dozen people total over two screenings maybe closer to 15 um that's not good so like that's not like the number that you want to see right but it was cheap because we were we were able to get it for cheap so it wasn't that big of an investment and it wasn't like we weren't crying about it um although it's a little sad to do an intro for for six people um so i guess point being like typically when you do classics it's um really famous movies. And it's usually almost always studio movies and movies that are easy to get because if a film is in like paramounts, um, if it's in their archive or if it's in universals archive or if it's Warner brothers, um, then it's, it's easy to get. You, You could just kind of, they have like a whole system set up. If it's like a film that was released independently, even if it was like a pretty famous film, there are weird cases where like, like up until recently the rights for Halloween belonged to just some person. Oh in, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, like some some lady in Santa Monica had pooled together like in the early 80s I think the rights had gone up for auction. And she had pooled her money like her she and like a couple of her friends had like mortgaged their houses and put up like a couple hundred thousand dollars i don't know how much i would be completely spitballing but they put up an amount of money they won this auction they won the rights and then from then until like a couple of years ago this lady controlled the rights and it was just wow you, know, it was Halloween awesome. you, had, you had to talk to debbie or whoever this lady was um, in california and that's like so you know there are cases like uh passion of the christ apparently passion of the christ is wrapped up in some like a state dispute and that's like not that, like if you yeah so that's like you know there are these weird weird cases but a lot of stuff is being consolidated a lot of stuff just ends up in the studio libraries and part of the fun as a programmer is like trying to figure out um you know what you can get from who like i was Emailing people back when I was getting Nightlight started, I was like, oh, could we get like Shaw Brothers movies from Hong Kong? Like, who do you talk to about that? Um, can we get like Russ Meyer movies? Like, there is that's a case where it's just like some lady who runs the Russ Meyer library. Okay.
0: A can, lady? Email right? her. <laughs> What's that? A lady. I wouldn't have expected that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she's um, like a an heir to Russ Meyer or something, if she's a family member, but um, yeah, so there are like little things like that. And that's kind of fun. I mean, it doesn't always reward you monetarily. You're not, you know, if you show like faster pussycat, maybe we'll, we would get like at this point, like we would hope for like 60 people or something like, um, and that might, you know, cover our costs, but wouldn't like make us a, a mint. Um, So, so yeah. So I guess when you're going after repertory films, there's a whole gamut. But a lot of places are going to stay kind of on the the safe side and just say like, what's a, you know, Jaws, who has Jaws? I think that's a...
0: It was Universal at one time.
1: Okay, yeah. So that's like, a you know, you just talk to somebody at Universal, you get your contact, yeah. you, pay a, you pay a guarantee up front, and then you have like a percentage that you pay back to them, which you're right, is quite a bit lower than... Um, it's it's cheaper i guess quote unquote to to play those movies
0: right of course yeah that makes sense uh so i got uh before i let you go anything you want to talk about are you gonna can you uh i guess i'll ask are you gonna can, can we uh, get a reveal what the uh, february uh slate's gonna look like don't know yet well
1: chris we're actually taking a little break oh we are Yeah, we're um, so we have some physical improvements we want to make to the um, the location itself. I know if you've you've been in our lobby and you've seen that we were touting new seats, uh, replacement seats because our seats are ancient. I don't know if they date back to 1982 or wherever, whenever when the um, cinema first opened up, but they're old and they feel old when you're sitting in them for two hours watching a movie. So uh, we're gonna try to take care of that. And um, yeah, it's just a sort of a strategic move because the the Omicron wave has been wild. I mean, just in terms of what it's like to be running a theater at this point, starting in June has been crazy. It's been like whiplash because um, June, July, you had like hot, hot backed summer, you know, people were out and they were ready to, we had like um, 100, 120 people at our cult films, uh, which was really great and felt good as a good note to start on. Um, But then you had the Delta wave. And I think from then, it's never really recovered to that level. It's been like, I think people's confidence really in spending time in a theater. Um, I mean, it really varies. Some people come in and they're like, "You have to ask them to wear a mask," and then they come back out for popcorn and they're not wearing the mask and okay. they don't seem to care at all. Right. Um, but that's a minority. That's like a minority of a minority. A lot of people come in and they're masked the entire time. They just want to see a movie, um, and it takes a little bit of um, like I don't know how you feel going to theaters every day at this point, but it's like I think it for
0: some people it just takes a little bit of like pushing themselves to. I, I would be more. I'd be more I'm vaxxed. I'm boosted. I just got boosted. right before this, this journey started January 1st, but even so, I think I'd be a little nervous, but I uh, honestly, I've done this 18 times. I've done 18 movies, right? I've never shared a row with somebody. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like for the most part, there's been a couple except where someone was like, if it was a really long row. I think it back to the future. I don't think there's even anyone in my role. I think it was just me and my wife. I, I haven't, And other, like I went yesterday and saw Bell at the Regal Cinema at Fox Run in Newington. I was the only person there. Like that is more the norm where it's like me and like one other person. Uh, The Back to the Future movie might have been the biggest movie I've seen, like I've gone to so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, That and maybe Ghostbusters on January 1st, but no one's there. So I think I'm probably the safest person in America right now in a bizarre (laughs) way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I think your experience is pretty telling. Like it's,
1: it's not, the attendance is not there at this point. You're in the middle of the, the Omicron wave. Um, I mean, we did, you know, not to be so totally doom and gloom about it. We did, um, the thing, um, last, uh, Saturday and that was, I think almost 50 people right. in, the, in the same room you saw Sabrina in. So that's, that's good for us. Like, um, so it's not horrible, but it's, it's not, um, at this point, it makes sense for us to kind of, sit it sit down for a little bit push pause and um take the opportunity like i said to do some um physical work on the cinema and um just see where we're at on the other side of that because yeah i think just putting on my like psychologist my 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 mass psychologist group psychologist hat i think um the delta wave kind of really broke people's confidence in a way that Um, hasn't come back yet. I think it was like when everybody was so invested in vaccines and they were like, once we get vaxxed, we can go out like that'll be it. Like, this is what we're, this is the costs that we're paying, whatever that means. Like we're, this is what we get. This is our like treat that we get for getting vaccinated. We were good. Most of us, we locked down, we stayed where we were. We masked up, we're getting vaxxed and then we're going to have fun. And we saw that real pop in June and July. And then I think Delta was the first thing that everybody was like, Oh, this process is not over. This can totally be reversed at any time. Like it's not the confidence kind of went so, um, and well, you're killing
0: my questions. confidence here. Cause if you guys, if you guys take a break, it's kind of puts me in a bad spot here. You're, well, one of, you're one of my go-tos here. You guys play interesting movies and, uh, you guys are relatively close to my house. It's the parking is not terrible. Like there's a lot of pusses Uh, so how, so like looking at like, what February, March, is that where you, I mean, mm-hmm. put in new seats. Uh, takes yeah. Time.
1: We're definitely going to be just reassessing the whole time and trying to figure it out. I mean, it's again like we were saying earlier, like the January, February, not a great time for releases. And
0: this uh, this year is no I mean, exception January to that. has been a disaster. I mean, it's been a absolute. It looks like February's a couple things popping, like especially the first half of it. Like this isn't like these are not giant movies, but at least there's some stuff coming out. I think next week I was looking at there's like nothing coming. Like there's nothing coming out next week. Is Uncharted? When is that dropping? I think that's or, February. Okay, this last yeah. week of January. I'm looking. I'm like, this is it's a black hole there, and I'm like, holy, I'm in trouble. Yeah, there's a new Jackass movie on the fourth. Though, Are you excited about that?
1: I, I, I love the Jackass. Movies. I do. I, I mean, they're fun. funny.
0: Like, I'll, I'll, I guarantee I will have a better time seeing that than a lot of other things I've seen. <laughs> When you uh, talk
1: about movies getting moved and being and me being bummed and I kind of was like trying to think of one. I think that is one where like actually it was going to be easy for us because it was October and like we just went all out on horror and trying to just do that whole thing in yeah. October. So fitting that in October when the Jackass movie was going to come out, but now it's in February. So I was a little bit like, oh, I got moved like we can't.
0: That is <laughs> like, that's just a fun time. You go and sit back and you shut your brain up and just laugh for 80 minutes like that. That's I love those fine. movies.
1: I love those movies. I went and saw the second one, which is my favorite. I was in college and like, I think everybody in the theater with me was high. I think I was the only person who was not on <laughs> something. And it was great. It was a ride. I love those movies. I'll always stick up for them. But, well, but
0: yeah, but February is,
1: you're not wrong. It's like, it looks like a wasteland right now.
0: Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Yeah. And March doesn't look, I, I you know, they, I well, they, I think there's a reason they push Morbius till April. I think April is when they're going to really be like, all right, let's, let's get cooking here again. Hopefully you guys will be you know, kind of rock, ready to rock and roll with the new seats by April. And, uh, and this, I, I think I just need to survive this until the end of March. And then I think I might be okay. Yeah. Hopefully.
1: Well, I would say there's, um, I will say there's, uh, I think you're, you're kind of, um, lucky to be in this part of the Northeast. I think you get a lot of like decent independent theaters. Even if I look at the the North shore, there's places that are still open, still doing like cool stuff. Um, like, I don't know. <laughs> this isn't what you meant by like, um, by, uh, um, like repping, but I'll, I'll rep somebody else's work. I was looking at the schedule for, um, the screening room in Newburyport, which yes. is a tiny, tiny storefront. I don't know. Have you been there yet? Or have I have not, it's it? on
0: my short list. I really want to go in the next couple of weeks here. They've got some
1: of the, the art house stuff from, um, later last year. And that's coming out now I was looking at, they've got a solid lineup. So not it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty bleak time, but I think there's still like spot. Like I went and saw um, a couple weeks ago. I went and saw um, licorice pizza in 70 millimeter at the Coolidge, um, which is like that a is, nice
0: another theater. I, I need to see as well. And I think I've seen licorice pizza uh, next week. I've been, this is the one I want to see the most was licorice pizza and uh, yeah. I'm actually going to finally reward myself. Did, did you, did you like the movie?
1: I did like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm still kind of processing. I loved phantom thread. Phantom thread is what I liked it a lot. W- Probably my favorite movie of that year and definitely my favorite PT Anderson movie so far. Oh wow. Um, so okay. it had a lot of, it had a lot to live up to. It's a different type of movie. It's not like Phantom Thread, really, in that regard. And it's I think folks, if you like Boogie Nights, it's yeah. definitely got like a lot of um uh a lot of that flavor. So I think yeah, it's definitely
0: worth seeing. All right, cool. that's my favorite. That's my favorite one is Boogie Nights. But I think Phantom Thread is my second favorite. I really liked that. We liked it way more than I thought I would. I, I was really yeah. compelling. Performances were, were great. And it was a really interesting story. All right, John. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you guys uh, kind of get ready to rock and roll here soon because I uh, I need you guys. So uh, and, uh, please, please come back soon. But it, uh, until, they, in, until they're, uh, do you guys have a date when you guys are going to kind of put the brakes on for a bit?
1: Yeah, it's as of the 24th. So it's coming up.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah, so run there now then. Go check out, uh, hurry up and go check out Cinema Salem uh, this weekend. You can check out, sit in those old seats uh, one last time, give them one last yeah. run, and uh, and check out a really cool movie theater for sure. And uh, and if you see John, uh, say hi, obviously. And uh, and thanks so much for joining us, John. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. This was fun.
0: Okay. Quick guess who's coming to the review here. I saw this at the uh, AMC Methuen. Uh, this is the same place where I had, the, of course, the King Richard debacle, where I finally did end up seeing King Richard. Uh, I'll talk more about the theater, I think, in general uh, later on when we have uh, have more time. Uh, but this movie is quite good. I've never seen this before. Uh, 1967 film it, it was getting a re-release because Sidney Poitier, of course, died, uh, I think, what, January 4th. Uh, so it, they, they released this movie uh, to some theaters here. And I'm really glad I finally got a chance to see it. Uh, came out, like I said, in 1967. It, it had been nominated for a number of Academy Awards. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, nominated for Best Director. It did not win either time. Uh, in the Heat of the Night, another Sidney Portier movie, Sydney Portier movie, uh, easy for me to say, won Best Picture, and then Mike Nichols won Best Director for The Graduate. It did wind up winning, uh, I guess who's coming to dinner, won for uh, Best Actress. Uh, Catherine Hepburn won the second of her four Oscars for this role. Uh, and it's a very good movie. Um, I really enjoy it. I don't know if I'd call it great. Uh, it's it's shot very much and uh, the screenplay is very much like a play. It, almost the entirety of the movie takes place uh, in the home of uh, Catherine Hepburn and Sidney Spencer Tracy. They play the, the parents uh, meeting their uh, their daughter's fiance, uh, a, a black man played obviously by Sidney Poitier uh, and uh, kind of the... Uh, the issues they have with it and which is really interesting because instead of it being a cliche where it's you know maybe two you know, rednecks or two you know wildly racist people and they hate this guy it's actually a lot more layered and nuanced than that uh Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn each play uh pretty staunch liberals. So the fact that some of their ideology is kind of thrown back in their face and how they initially uh, resent that is really interesting to watch and added a layer I didn't necessarily expect. Sometimes, I don't know, I'm probably following this bias. Maybe you folks do too, but when there's an older movie, sometimes I fall in the trap of, oh, it's going to be simplistic, but that's not always the case. And oftentimes the modern movies are more simplistic than older ones. Look at like the 355 or some other horseshit movie that comes out venom you know venom 2 area let there be carnage uh, you know just because something's more modern doesn't mean it's necessarily more nuanced and more complex and this is a really interesting uh, movie screenplay is really good uh by william rose he won the oscar as well uh and it's it's a like i say it's a if you're interested in a dialogue heavy story with well, really four protagonists uh, each of them kind of had their own viewpoints and it, and it does take time i would say maybe the daughter gets the short Uh, the short stick here of the four of them. Uh, But Sidney Poitier especially, I mean, obviously he's a great actor and sometimes you forget how good he is, especially if you're younger, if you're, you know, say my age or younger. You know, I mean, I grew up with Sidney Poitier in movies like Sneakers or maybe you remember he directed Ghost Dad. And yeah, you know, everyone tells you he's a great actor and it's like, all right, sure. But, you know, I never really saw that. I mean, his career kind of shifted in the late 70s and 80s. Became more of a director, didn't really act as much. So you didn't really see uh, really what he can do, but you see it here, especially in the third act of this movie, you see him get very angry at his at his father. Uh, eventually, uh, at one point, his parents come to dinner uh, to this house as well. Uh, I mean, everything here is obviously rushed to an extent. I mean, it kind of has to be, I guess, due to the fact this all takes place in one day. And there are some things they kind of rush through, I think, to raise the stakes and the intensity. I don't know if it's necessary. I mean, but I mean, I- I'm probably kind of nitpicking here at the end of the day, you're, you're not going, you're going to see this movie for this great screenplay. And for those three great actors, Spencer, Tracy, Sidney Poitier, Katherine Hepburn, all doing great work. Interestingly enough, Spencer Tracy was incredibly ill during the filming of this movie. Uh, he in fact died uh, shortly after it was, uh, it was done production. I think mean, two weeks after it was done production is when he died. So when the movie came out, he had already been dead for I think almost six months. Uh, and he was very ill during the making of it. He only was working between nine a.m. and noon uh, when they were shooting, because he just any longer than that he he couldn't handle it. Uh, he would just be just completely exhausted, uh, which is which is interesting because he's very good here. He gives a really natural, honest performance, and probably the most complex role of the bunch. Uh, he never leans into being a cartoon character. None of the characters do, but especially his role. He could I could see him kind of falling into this cliched bigot in a way, and he never does that uh maybe the end is a little little ham-handed that's not his fault if anything maybe blame the screenplay i they mean, they have to wrap it up somehow so but other than the last you know say five minutes of this movie uh it's a really interesting hilarious performance by him i i actually think this movie is really good uh i'm gonna say uh, i'm gonna give it a b plus uh, i call it the third best movie i've seen so far back back to the future is far and away and this is just a for me a notch below uh nightmare alley i'm sure that might be you know um that might be infuriating to some uh film historians potentially and maybe they're right but uh you know i can only go by what what i enjoy what i don't enjoy and this this is quite good if you haven't seen this i definitely recommend checking it out this film is quite a bit more modern than i would have expected uh walking in for sure it was directed by stanley kramer he's directed judgment at nuremberg he directed uh it's a mad 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 world uh and this one uh, as well And, and these are all classic films and it is like i said very modern except for two exceptions where you see the maid's daughter start dancing randomly with this guy who came by the butcher's delivery boy and they start dancing oddly. And then another scene where Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn are out at a, almost like a, it's like a, what Sonic pretends to be now, but like an ice cream shop that has like, you know, uh, waitresses that bring the food out to your car. I uh, must've been, I'm sure a thing back then. Uh, but, uh, It's just the strange interactions they're having with the outside world. Anytime it's in the house, it feels very real. Even in 2022, I mean, obviously it feels dated at times, but for a movie that's tackling such major issues as race and uh, young people getting married and and kind of uh, the relationship between uh, parents and children and and some things that you think would feel instantly out of place, it, it actually held up pretty well, except for these two scenes where it's almost like someone was like, Pretending what or like didn't know what the '60s were like and just like guessing, it was very strange. And you figure when he made this, he was in his 50s, so he wasn't completely out of touch. But it was just a very two very odd scenes. Uh, I'm am shocked they weren't edited out. But maybe at that point he had so much creative control. He had already by that point when this came out, him, Tracy Hepper, even Portier had all very established careers. So uh, especially you know Kramer Tracy and Hepper at this point um, where already legendary status. So uh, I guess he was probably still able to put in, keep whatever he wanted in there. Okay, so that... Pretty much wraps it up very good movie. Check it out. If you haven't seen this already, uh, like I said, uh, at the top of the show, I will be, be back on Monday. So not Sunday. So a little bit of a delay there, but you'll be back Monday morning with, uh, an all new show here. Hopefully I'll be seeing West side story and then parallel mothers. Uh, so hopefully, uh, that will be an interesting discussion. I'll talk about kind of the first half of my Boston trip and I'll be seeing a new theater in that run. I'll be, I'll be, uh, checking out the showcase super Lux, which I hear is a very fancy theater, uh, in Chestnut Hill. Uh, So I'll talk to you folks then.